Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I got a guest with me on the line. It's kind of a little bit of a Q&A episode, a little bit of a discussion episode. Before we get to that, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Exoskin. If you're looking to pick up some Exoskin, you can head over to their website at exoskin.us and use code STRENGTH20 to save yourself 20%. Exoskin makes compression garments. They also make compression socks and Exo underwear. So Exo underwear is their newest product. I just picked up a pair, I don't know, what was that, two weeks ago or so? And out of all their products, that's I really like that. That's I think that might be my favorite. So you can wear the Exo compression shorts like as underwear if you really want to, but they're a little bit thicker, like designed for more of the rough conditions of trail running and OCR, and the XO underwear is a little bit thinner, so a little more comfortable. I have actually worn it as a standalone product while running on my treadmill uh, in my garage, though, because it's probably not socially acceptable to wear um, something that thin out running in public. But yeah, Exoskin, they're diving into the OCR market. You can uh, you can check them out over at exoskin.us and look up for Mudrun Guide. We got a couple of reviews coming out on there. All right, let's get to today's episode. So joining me, I have Kelly Williams, she's a member of Strength and Speed, uh, recently placed second at Tougher Mudder, Missouri, and in 2021 also placed second at High Rocks Dallas in the pro division, and she is a physical therapist. So Kelly, welcome. Thank you, Evan. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, we've had you on a couple times, so I'm not going to run through your whole bio. I know you've, uh, you've got a fair number of podiums there. Um, in elite races, and you've uh, been an elite competitor for Toughest Mudder before, and yeah, just done a lot of good stuff. Give us a couple of qualifications on your uh, on your professional side, on your physical therapy side, just so people are tracking. Sure. Um, I've been a physical therapist for almost 20 years, and um, I've specialized in sports medicine, so I have a lot of other letters behind my name um, that give me some street cred with uh, the physical therapy world. Um, and sports medicine is my passion, and I'm able to do that for my, you know, athletic stuff too. So it goes hand in hand. Yeah, I love that. I also, I love that you're an athlete and um, like a fitness professional on, on both sides, right? So kind of like Alex Buford, how she, Alexis Buford, how she's a chiropractor and an athlete, right? Like you already know a lot of the question, like a lot of the questions that you would ask me as, as a patient, I feel like you know the answer to it already because you know what I'm doing to my body because you run these races and you've experienced them, everything from short course all the way up to 24-hour world toughest mutter. So, yeah. yeah, it definitely helps um, understand what people are going through. Um, when, you can do, when you've done something firsthand already, um, they'll buy into what you're asking them to do for their treatment too. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And can we talk about your new job yet? Is that is that set in stone yet, or is that still? Uh, no, that's still uh, that's still <laughs> not <Okay>. yet. <laughs> okay, we can't talk about that yet. But I'm excited not for yet. that, and um, yeah, highly, ex- yeah, just excited for your new job and uh, all that entails. All right, let's get to today's question. So we're going to be talking about. We posted on the Strength and Speed Facebook page, ask questions about injuries, and uh, Kelly would answer them on air, and then. Uh, we also want to talk a little bit about Tougher Mudder, Missouri. So Tougher Mudder, Tough Mudder came back. It's their second event since 2019. Now, the first event was in Atlanta. Their second event was in uh, Missouri. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about that and that experience and how it has changed uh, since Spartan has essentially taken over Tough Mudder. But let's start with the physical therapy side. Let's start with the questions. Um, so we're going to start off with a question from Gary Shaw. Uh, Gary is our beer drinking ultra runner we've had on the podcast before <laughs> recently finished the 200 miler 
um, at one point had the record for 24 beers, 24 miles in under 24 hours uh, before it was beaten a week later and then again a week after that. And he is also the race director of the Leaky Hourglass Ultra Run. So it's a race, I believe it's the last weekend in August and essentially it's a last man standing event. But unlike other last man standing events um, where you just run a set distance over a certain amount of set amount of time, usually it's around like four miles over an hour. His event, the hour time cap actually gets shorter, right? So like you're going to need to have a blend of, of speed and endurance in there. So it should be a pretty interesting event. Not sure it quite fits into my schedule, but I know he's still got a couple of spots left. So if you're interested in joining him for the Leaky Hourglass Ultra, you can check that out. Anyway, his question is, is nerve damage on the, on the feet a common issue for ultra runners? After I DNF the 135 Outlaw 135-mile race this year, in less than ideal conditions, I've lost the majority of feeling in my big toes and it, it and its neighbor on my left foot. I didn't get frostbite or anything, but ever since that race, it constantly feels like those are two toes and the ball of my foot are asleep. Whenever they touch something, it feels like needle pricks. This was in February, and I've since run another 100 and a 200. I've learned to deal with it, but I'm curious if this is a common or if there's something I can do to regain feeling. All right, Kelly, what do you, what do you got? Yeah. I know some of the other a- ultra runners chimed in, but let's... Yeah, that's a, a tough one. And nerve injuries like that can, or it sounds like a, a nerve injury when you don't have, you know, the, the feeling essentially in those areas, but it's a traumatic effect of that constant pounding on that area of your feet. And especially if it, the terrain um, is rocky or it, you're crazy enough to do ultras on the road. Um, but yes, those small nerve endings in the, in that specific area of your foot can just get kind of smashed. Um, those sorts of things, they should come back over time, but I would imagine you could possibly have some, you know, some damage that stays there for a while. Um, could be several months for nerves to grow back. It's, it's a slow process, but it sounds pretty vocalized, um, to where he's getting that pounding on his feet. Um, it, it's, it varies. It's something you definitely have to get checked out specifically to make sure there's nothing up the chain. Um, causing that issue but most likely it's that localized trauma and running 100 and 200 mile races yeah you're gonna cause some damage (laughs) to some soft tissue on your feet and uh over time it should improve but you would have to probably not run that much so it, it the feeling that he's getting that like the pins and needles so you can lose sense different types of sensation, one to pressure, one to temperature and touch, those sorts of things. So he can feel some of that deep pressure probably. And the pins and needles is it might be coming back a little bit by the time he's rested or done, you know, training for a race and then, and then start back up again. So it probably waxes and wanes in between. Gotcha. So but I, I don't think there's anything like, yeah permanent or not that that's a tough one (laughs) yeah i mean i feel like i've had similar stuff i'm not sure how much of it was just endurance and how much of it was um cold because usually they're aligned pretty well with toughest mudder world's toughest where i'm actually cold for a large portion of that and i think oh yeah i think the peripheral neuropathy (laughs) type of feelings from like world's toughest mudder it was probably six months for me before i got the feeling back in my fingertips and all of my fingers so yeah, it took me six months for that, but that was definitely cold. Yeah. Cold trauma. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure th- they behave about the same way. 
I think everything's back to normal, but I wouldn't be surprised if like my new baseline has just shifted and I don't realize mm-hmm. that I'm not 100% back to normal, but um, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. So, um, yeah. That was a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's keep moving along. Uh, so sure. we got Adam Mazikas, uh, which sounds like a nice Greek name. <laughs> and uh, he says, how long is the rehab for a ruptured Achilles? How many times should I go to therapy per week? What kind of movements will help me heal fully? All right. And that I should have asked a follow-up question first. It depends if he's had surgery or not. If he's had his Achilles tendon repaired versus uh, what we call non-operative treatment, which is just you let it heal on its own. Um, either way, both of them are very, um, they're slow um, processes and they, they, they go through different phases. If he is just, if he was diagnosed with a complete rupture as Achilles, um, they're going to brace him, you know, immobilize that foot for uh, several weeks. And there's going to be minimal weight bearing put on that foot. Um, and a lot of times there will be a heel lift in there as well. So they actually want that Achilles to heal like in a shortened position. Mm. So it's not being stressed. Um, and that's a, it's a very slow process. It's, it's a, it's a boot, it's a mobilization, it's crutches when walking. Um, it's that heel lift. Um, and that at the beginning, the first two to four weeks, even six weeks is pretty minimal stuff with physical therapy. So I wouldn't be surprised if they only saw somebody one to two times a week and then were given some basic um, exercises to do. And mostly you're working around it, <laughs> meaning you're working other parts of your body and leaving that foot alone with what you're doing on your own when you're in physical therapy you're going to do some easy isometric exercises in like a limited range of motion because you just don't want to stress that, um, that Achilles that wasn't repaired. Um, a lot of times, um, some aquatic therapy can work with that to, um, regain motion and, and work on weight bearing, but it's very specific. Um, the doctor, depending on who your orthopedic is, will give you very specific weeks guidelines, you know, the first two to three weeks, it might be 25% weight bearing with a boot on (laughs) with the heel lift. And then, you know, up maybe at six weeks, it can be full weight bearing and then getting out of the boot. Um, if someone's had surgery, it's, it's similar. Um, you are immobilized in a boot and limited to weight bearing. Um, and again, you'll have a heel lift as well in, in that boot that you're wearing. The, um, the results of a, of a repaired Achilles tendon are very, very good. I have rehabbed um, basketball players and everything for Achilles tendon repairs, and they've gone back to, you know, full play. So you can imagine how much jumping a basketball player does. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes people are scared. Do I get it repaired or do I just let it heal on its own? They're both long processes, but, they, um, but the repair have um, good outcomes. Um, again, the, the therapy, it's, it's just going to depend on which, which he had. Um, a lot of it can be progressed with one to two visits of therapy per week. You just have to do the homework that your therapist tells you. If you're someone who has to be 
held accountable, then ask them to go to therapy more often. <laughs> Say, yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. that's the thing. Some people need their hand held a lot more um, or they know they're going to do too much. But either repaired or not repaired, there's very specific guidelines um, and, and weeks with that. Um, you know, you're looking months down the road before um, people begin to do some things like running and, and those sorts of things. Um, you, um, I'm trying to think of like the, the full timeline of things, and that really depends. You're probably looking at six months. Of, of healing time um, with all that. Um, there's a little quicker healing time with it being repaired than there's a non-operative one. Those sorts of things are, they're driven by the orthopedic surgeon. And then someone like me, depending on what you have done, will craft the rehab around it. So like I said, I work around it a lot when I'm working with athletes. We work on everything else we can. <laughs> and then we do a little bit on the foot. Uh, and then we gradually do more and more, um, with the repairs, there's a lot of soft tissue healing with it as well. This is a big incision on the back of their Achilles. So, um, there's some scar tissue maintenance and some different things that people don't think about that go along with, um, repairing something besides just them sewing it back together. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I like that um, with OCR, there's always other stuff to work on, right? I mean, we have, yeah. We've pretty, it's a pretty much full body sport. So you can always find something to work around and focus on while whatever injured part of your body heals. Yes. There'll be a lot of bike riding within Achilles tendon repair or non-operative repair, a lot of bike riding. So get a bike. (laughs) And I was, I was also going to ask, you know, like I don't have, I've never had that many lower body, uh, like serious injuries. Like I've, Mm -hmm. I've, I've partially torn like a very minor, like, you know, uh, probably a strain is not really, it's probably a tear or whatever, but uh, part of my quad at one point um, that was definitely mm-hmm. not full or anything like that. But, you know, like, is there any, like a, a ruptured Achilles sounds pretty serious. Like, are there, yeah. <laughs> are there any lower body injuries, right? Like as an OCR athlete, if I get this injury, like that's pretty much the end of my, um, like I'll never quote unquote reach back to my normal potential again. Is there oh. anything anything that like kind of pops um, at you where it's like oh he got that oh that's that's a career ender you know if, if we're if you're racing as a competitive athlete or or maybe just as a recreational um i have never anything? yeah go for it i've never been in that thought process that someone can't ever return back okay um there's i mean the things that they can repair and do but it's as long as someone does the correct <laughs> prescribed stuff along the way and doesn't rush things. Um, there's no reason why people can't return to full capacity, um, especially with little sprains and strains and things. Those are things that um, they're easily, you know, they're easily fixed with um, focused therapies and, and, and time. Some things people don't have the patience to wait, <laughs> mm, but you gotcha. have to you have to do specific things. You can't just wait like, Oh, I hurt my knee. I'm going to rest for four weeks and then I'm going to be fine and go back. It doesn't work like that. And that's where people often get frustrated. They're like, but I stopped running for four weeks. I'm like, well, what else did you do? And they're like, well, nothing. And I'm like, well, that's why you're not any better. Um, so <laughs> that, that, that's the, <laughs> that's the, the, the truth of the matter. Um, and that's where people like, like myself, like when I've injured, I've gotten injured lots of times. OCR is a dangerous sort of sport and I've always come back swinging. 
because I have that knowledge in my head and the patience to be able to go through the steps that it takes to heal completely. Um, but there's no like, I mean, besides some traumatic like head injuries and crazy things like that or broken spines, um, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's anything that, that you, you know, it's a matter of if someone wants to wait that six months to a year to come back to being a competitive athlete, recreational athlete, you know, it depends where they want to come back to. Got it's it. possible to come back from most things besides, like I said, the big bad ones, spinal injuries or head injuries, something like that. All right. So that, I mean, that's good news for anyone who's listening that may be dealing with something that's nagging or that's been bothering them for a while. So yeah, get um, it, get it checked out, go to somebody, you know, um, people, I, I just see people get frustrated a lot of times or they have a surgery and the doctor's like, you're good to go. And they're not good to go. Um, people, <laughs> if they're an athlete, you typically need some guidance on how, you know, just some simple things to regain their mobility and strength. And then a timeline of progression. You know, the biggest thing is, you know, you wouldn't wake up today and then say, Hey, I'm going to go run a marathon tomorrow without training for it. So when you get injured, you have to train your body back. Um, kind of like if you not started from zero, but when you're starting over and make it a slow process, you have to remember how long it took you to get to where your, your fitness level was at to begin with. And it helps give people a little bit of perspective. Got it. All right. Good answer. All right. Now, next question is from uh, Rondell Jawan Snyder. He's a athlete. I've seen him. He's come and run Casey Timber challenge, finished, uh, I think about fifth there. And then he, uh, I think if, Top 10, uh, probably closer to fifth at Tougher Mudder, Missouri this past weekend. Okay. His question is, so I ran my second Tougher Mudder this year in the Classic Wave, and after running for that long, my knees have excruciating pain that I can hardly walk afterwards. Is this just from runner's knee and I'm stuck with it, or are there exercises and stuff that will help with that? Well, there's always something that will help with that. that it, that's a, it's kind of vague, you know, um, I'm one to ask people specific questions, but in general, um, those, you know, might be a 10 mile race, but it can take a few hours. So your, you know, time on feet is a few hours, um, and tough mutters you're crawling, you're jumping, you know, your knees are getting kind of banged up. It's not a, you know, not a clean OCR <laughs> specifically, but most likely it's just the trauma from, from the race. And it could be cumulative effect of, the training up to it. Um, or if someone is not used to being on their feet for two hours, then that kind of, your body's like, whoa, I don't like that. Um, most likely it's just some acute swelling in the knees. Um, runner's knee is a general term for knee pain that's in the front of your knee, anterior knee pain. And it can be caused by several things. Um, some of the best things to help navigate some of that knee pain is to look at mobility and strength. Um, most people do the running part of it, um, but the mobility and strength part of it is essential as well. So making sure that your hips are mobile and your quads and calves and hamstrings are mobile. So a good flexibility and mobility program. Um, and then focusing on like foam rolling for like the IT band. Areas on the outside of the leg typically will cause that kneecap to kind of shimmy over to the side while you're running or doing something. And so tightness on the outside of the leg a lot of times can cause that knee pain on the front. So foam rolling the IT band, which is on the outside of the leg, um, and then making sure that 
you're actually doing mobility and stretches. Those are the biggest things. Um, running specific strength exercises. They can be as simple as lunges. So strength training that you're doing things on one leg. That is important for running. Just doing um, squatting is not a, it's not, it's good for strengthening your legs in general or doing deadlifts, but you need to incorporate some single leg strengthening exercises. So lunges, single leg squats, um, you know, Bulgarian split squats or rear foot elevated split squat, uh, single leg deadlifts, um, and working on some hip strength in other areas too. So working on the hip flexors, um, doing bridges, getting the glutes to fire um, as well are, are easy things um, that you can work on to help prevent some of that knee pain as well. Because the stronger your muscles are around the joint, the more it's going to help protect it and support it. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I feel like I've had – I feel like when I first started running, so I don't know how long Rundell has been running for, but I know like when I first started running the first couple of years, you know, like all sorts of random stuff would hurt. And I feel like the longer I've run and the more I've done some like cross training, like things that bother me, you know, a decade, two decades ago, are just, they're just non-existent anymore. It just doesn't – I don't know. Like it's – Yes, your your body will get accustomed to it as yeah. well. So yeah, if he's newer to the sport or newer to running, you know those longer distances, things are going to hurt more. <laughs> that is that is a fact. Yeah. I know my my first couple of toughest world's toughest mutters, like my feet, like my my feet hurt. Like I feel like the individual bones and like tendons and every mm-hmm. everything hurt in my feet. And now that I've been doing it for a couple of years, like I don't have I don't have that same pain. Uh, that I definitely yeah, used to have. Yeah, your body's just built up resilience by you doing consistent work in those same you know, modalities. Yeah. So your body will get accustomed to it over time. Gotcha. All right, so you're also the uh, official physical therapist of the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. So yeah. I, uh, <laughs> as we were coming on, I asked them, you know, we were a little private group chat. I was like, hey, any questions for Kelly? And uh, a bunch of people sent some stuff in, so you haven't seen any of these yet. But uh, here, here's some other ones. Some of them are pretty broad, so we'll kind of take them as they as they come. But uh, so the first one's from Amy Padrick. Uh, any general tips for things all OCR people should have to do to help prevent injury? Obviously, a big <laughs> big topic there, but big kind of topic there. General general recommendations for OCR yeah. athletes and avoiding injury. It goes into kind of that last question is making sure that you are consistently training in things that your body's going to come up against. And so obviously that's running and trying to run on the same types of terrain that you might see. So don't always run on the treadmill and then think, you know, you're going to be on this technical trail and do as well, or that your ankle's not going to roll. So your body needs to be used to used to things before you ask it to do it in a race. Um, preparing for it. So um, making sure you have good mobility, you know, shoulders are a huge thing in OCR because we're hanging and swinging from things and climbing all the time. Um, So shoulder mobility is super important. Um, That's one of the the bigger things um, with all the overhead type of stuff. And then your hips and your knees, those mobility, those things for mobility are essential as well because you're crawling, you know, low crawling or you're jumping or you're swinging your leg over, you know, walls. You have to be able to have your body move fluidly. 
and it, you know, if it's really tight in some directions, then other things kind of take over for it and that can cause some, some sprains or strains or injuries. Um, other things are obviously a strengthening programs for those, those areas that you, that you work on a lot. So we do a ton of pulling, overhead grip, um, carrying heavy things. Those sorts of things, doing those in practice will help your body be prepared as well. Um, nutrition, being well hydrated, making sure you're not eating junk, um, you know, reducing alcohol <laughs> intake as well. All those things help your body to be at its best. Um, I'm not a nutritionist, but there's a lot of common sense things that people don't do, I think, and they expect <laughs> their body, they expect their body to perform. And then um, the other thing is, is resting. So if you are doing really hard training on, you know, Monday and Thursday, you know, making sure those next, the days after that are, are some recovery days um, and making sure you're getting plenty of sleep as well. These are all ideal situations, but all of them add up because you could go to the ninja gym and just crush it every night but then your forearms are never recovered, you know? So you need to have variety in what you do with your, your training as well, but it needs to be consistent. Don't think that training just once or twice a week uh, is going to get you real far <laughs> in OCR or, or let you accomplish your goals. Gotcha. Good one. Now um, we had some other questions coming. So Ashley says, kind of along the similar topic, you know, mm -hmm. any, any trends do you see in OCR athletes as far as injuries go and uh, kind of related to Amy's point, you know, how to prevent those. So any like common OCR injuries that um, I would know, I say the most common, like traumatic one, like that happens at a race is the old ankle sprain, the ankle roll. Um, I see that a lot. And, and those are things that, you know, in a few weeks, they're, they're typically better, but there again, you're starting with, you know, range of motion, you're using ice on it, you're using compression, and then you start doing some strengthening exercises with that ankle to get it back to where it needs to be. More of the overuse type of injuries I see are shoulders, um, especially with the heavy, like the obstacle dense type of races, you know, with like the Savage or the CTG, things where you're, you're hanging a lot. Um, those I see a lot of different like tendonitis in the shoulder or impingement in the shoulder. And that a lot of comes from imbalances. So tightness, like in the pecs and the lats, mm. and then weakness of that rotator cuff. So that would be, you know, the, the first attack again is making sure the motion is good and then strengthening the rotator cuff and then the muscles that stabilize your, your shoulder blade. And there's pretty specific things. It's hard to describe through through talking but um the shoulder is definitely one of the biggest ones with ocr um and then knee would be the the second one that you see the cumulative um effects of that because a knee can get twisted you know in a race or something um and sometimes you don't feel stuff till later on or you have poor running form um and you're constantly causing friction someplace on the knee so um again, making sure your body moves well. Um, one of the easiest things, like I said, is getting that IT band to be loosened up with foam rolling or using the scraping tools, uh, massage, those sorts of things, or the massage therapy guns. Um, 
and then stretching out your hip flexors. So the front part of your hip always gets really tight and that can cause some imbalances in the knee as well. Um, sometimes unlocking those two things can, are pretty simple, but they can really help, um, help those, uh, those areas. Got it. So Ashley also followed it up with, you know, if you could give one piece of advice to athletes, what mm-hmm. would it be? Again, obviously pretty, pretty big topic there. And, um, yeah. One piece of advice. Um, don't, don't let your ego get in the way. Mm. <laughs> Meaning, you know, sometimes people will see a race, and then another race, then another race, and this one's longer and this one's longer. And then they just keep like upping the ante every time, you know, it's when you, when you first start something, you just want to do all of it. Um, so, and then with COVID happening and us not having any races and, you know, we're all jumping into everything that we can. So <laughs> be careful with some of that. So don't let your ego get in the way too much. Um, and select some races that are your, your A races, you know, find some big things that you really want to train up to and then make those your focus instead of having everything be your focus. Um, I think the goal setting is, is really important in, in athletics. Um, I know this isn't physical stuff, but it will help you align what you want to do physically if you have goals in mind, specific things that you're working towards. And it'll help you with that consistency of training as well. Agreed. I love, love all the things you were saying there. I know when I came into the sport of obstacle course racing, and people were like, this is my first year racing. I'm doing an ultra beast. And I was like, what? what? I was like, you're yeah. doing why, why would you do that? Like, I was very <laughs> taken aback by how quickly people would go like, oh, I found obstacle course racing. Um, I did a 5K, and now I signed up for an Ultra Beast in two months. And you're like, your body needs, like, time to build up. It was it was really foreign to me. Um, and then the, the frequency of racing was also – I was kind of yeah. taken aback with because I'm used – I was used to, like – you know, I followed a lot of marathoners who were like, I race twice a year, and, like, that's it. And I was like – so that's what I was used to where like I would have these long buildups and I would, you know, do one marathon and then maybe follow it up with a couple of, um, or use a couple of like, races in between as kind of like, uh, training races, you know, training mm-hmm. runs. Um, and then I, I jumped to OCR and it was like, you know, everyone's like, I'm racing every weekend, you know, here are my, you know, it's like, it's like the social media world where it's like, there's it's like, I feel like you constantly have to like be putting yourself out there. So it was, uh, it was, an, it was a mental adjustment, uh, largely. But, yeah, because yeah. unfortunately, sometimes people, they get burnt out real fast then, and they don't return to the sport. And I, I want as many people to do OCR as possible. Yes. I mean, recently, I, I usually don't race weekend after weekend after weekend, but I did do that recently. <laughs> did a bunch of things in a row. Um, but some were pretty short, easy things, and then some were my big, big races. Like right. high rocks and tough mutter and stuff. So, and like like you said, you know, you you've prioritized them in your mind, right? I do the same thing. Where yeah. I'll show up. You you'll see me race two or three weekends in a row, and you're it's like, oh well, that's too much. It's like, well, I'm not tapering for some of those. And like honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm trying my best on race day. Don't get me wrong, but like, um, it's not you, an A you race. Know that, yeah, yeah like, you know, I, it's not gonna be your best. Yeah, yeah. And I've been doing this for eleven years as well. So, my, you know. <laughs> when you like if someone's only been doing it for like two months and then i'm like oh that that's that's not a good thing they get burnt out or they get injured right right gotcha all right so michelle warnke just 
chimed in again we uh the conquer the gauntlet pro team's like in nice big broad questions broad topics here <laughs> um so michelle warnke i want to know best recovery techniques um again kind of a broad okay. question there but uh, um i think recovery um the most essential thing is that you're you're getting your your blood flowing in your body you know but you're not taxing it so much so you want your heart rate to be pretty low, but you want your body to be moving easy. So best recovery things are easy bike riding and then doing things like yoga or um, dynamic stretching exercises. You know, recovery day could be about a half hour. So you might be biking or, you know, elliptical or something like that, or just walking, but then also doing movements with your entire body. So taking it through yoga type of stretches or dynamic stretches that you would have done for a warm up, but you just do them at a slower pace. Um, if you have any, we call it, you know, little nagging things, tightness here, or there using, um, scraping tools or massage gun, foam rolling, you know, taking those recovery days to focus on some of that self care stuff that way. Um, but also doing movement, not just laying in bed on a rest day. And that's what we call it recovery. Um, like she questioned instead of rest. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause even after, you know, say like world's toughest mutter, like that next day you need to like move a little bit. Cause if you don't, you will turn into a big piece of rust. <laughs> so, but yeah, gentle movement where you're getting all of your body moving, keeping your heart rate pretty low though, but getting the, the blood flowing in your body. Um, you know, there's things like the Normatec boots and different things like that that can help push fluid around in your body. Um, I like those devices too, but they're only, I mean, I only have them for my legs. So yeah, uh, you want to do something for your whole body. Good stuff. And then she also followed it up with um, best warm-up techniques in order of them. So she's, you know, like mm. things like foam rolling, scraping, joint rotations, jogging, drills, et cetera. So kind of, I'm going to expand on her question a little bit, you know, but like, yeah. How, how should we be warming up, you know, and, um, you know, we, we're doing big muscle groups first, small muscle groups later, yeah. or vice versa, and kind of, you know, stretching versus static stretching versus dynamic, stuff like that. All right. So um, typical warm up should be, you're going to do like large muscle group things first. So um, I'll give an example. So there's like a 40 yard um, uh, turf section in, in my gym. So I start with skipping forwards, skipping backwards. Then I do side shuffling each, each direction. And then I'm going to do um, some different type of skipping drills where it's more of um, you kind of hop on one foot, hop on the other foot. Um, I do them forward and backwards. And then I do some things laterally as well. Um, so that would kind of be the start for, for some of the legs. And then I would go a little bit slower into some walking lunges, and then I'm going to rotate and stretch with my arms as well. So I'm incorporating my trunk in after that. And I kind of go down, down and back. Um, and then to move on to like the upper body, I typically, I get the muscles to engage a little bit before I stretch them. So I'm going to use one of those like stretchy bands and do some, some pull aparts. Um, I'm working on like pulling that band apart. So I'm, engaging my scapular muscles and back. So I would do that first. And then I would use like the PVC pipe, the, the round, like where you lift it up and over your head and back around, um, those sorts of things. Um, static stretching 
is going to be reserved for after your workout always. So you always want to do something dynamic first and then mobility. So you want to warm your body up, get those muscles, you know, stretched or uh, get the muscles pliable and then do some of your movements. Um, you can foam roll after you do like your dynamic warm-up stuff. If you've got a, a few spots that are, you know, bothering you, because if you get some blood flowing and, and warmth in the muscles, then that foam rolling is going to be a little more efficient instead of just doing it cold. Um, and you can foam roll your, you know, your lats, your IT bands, those sorts of things. Um, but static stretching is always after the workout is done. Um, your muscles are most pliable. And there's, there's nothing that says that static stretching prevents injury. Um, preventing injury is making sure your body moves in all the directions it needs to. So having the correct mobility. So static stretching can be a good way to kind of cool down and slow down. Um, but that is always going to be after you're done working out. Got it. All right. Good answers. I think that that kind of wraps up our Q&A portion. Um, again, thanks for your insight. I thought I think there's a lot, of, a lot of good material people can take with them and apply in whether they're training or racing or even even they're not doing OCR but getting into other sports because I think the, the general principles there apply to all fitness type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump into uh, Tougher Mudder, right? So Tougher Mudder, yeah. two events. They, they did one in Atlanta. Um, that was their kind of their relaunch. And then they did the Tougher Mudder, Missouri, which was at the old Battlegrounds. And you used to be on the Battlegrounds team, correct? That's correct, Yeah, right? so it was old stomping grounds. <laughs> yeah. So uh, give me some of your thoughts on the return of Tough Mudder, and I'll, uh, we can go back and forth because I was there also. And, uh, yeah. What did you think of the I, uh, Tough Motor back in action? I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I have been doing some racing and some things, but I have not done a, a 10-mile obstacle course race in a long time. You know, I've done some 5Ks or some six-mile ones. Um, so I, was, I, knew, I knew it was going to be a little bit more grind than uh, I had been used to. But the, um, the venue is awesome. The, you know, the, the parking and getting there, all of that was very easy. I thought, um, the registration was, you know, that was simple to, to walk into. I'm going to, um, I'm going to chime in. The, the registration yeah. was faster than most tough mutter used to send everyone who was a tougher mutter participant, the competitive wave to two lines. And that was it. Yeah. And now that Spartans take over, they're like, go to any lane. And it was, yes. Yeah. Like I do. 10 yeah. times faster than it normally is. Yeah. Once it opened, it was, yes, it was, it was good. <laughs> we yeah, they were, they were, they were yeah. running a little bit behind schedule, yeah. but I mean, first wave of the day you know it happens i'm not even yeah and my daughter was running later on that day and they didn't give me any hassle of checking her in at that time oh nice you know sometimes they're like no you gotta wait but so that was because i was like can i check her in too and i thought they're gonna say no but they didn't yeah yeah, (laughs) because they they told people don't show up more than an hour early because they were trying to limit uh the number of people in there due to covid but those they were nice (laughs) common sense prevailed that's good to see yes um of course, you know, and then the start was over in a different area than it had been um, before. We kind of went off a different different direction. Um, but Sean Corvell was there, of course, um, given his speech. And that's always great. It was a huge, tougher wave. Um, they said it was one of the biggest ones. I yeah, have been Sean, in a tougher races. I, I don't know. Sean Corvell said it was the largest, tougher wave he's ever yeah. seen. And I agree. I've been to, okay. I don't know, well, maybe eight of them or so. But it Usually they're pretty, they're a lot sparser. I mean, this was, it was deep. That was a deep, yeah. it's a deep field. 
Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I thought the, uh, the course layout was good as well. Like there, there's plenty of like space to pick up your speed and run. Um, you know, there's a few obstacles that weren't there, um, that are usually pretty classic to tough mutter. Um, and I don't know why, if it was a COVID thing or not, um, like oh. Everest, they didn't have uh, Everest. Yeah, yeah, they did remove Everest due to COVID because everyone's like yeah. touching and Yeah, so that was the only, that was the only like disappointment was like that big one because that's a big obstacle. Yeah. Big, big fun ones. And Pyramid Scheme um, wasn't there either now that I think about it. Um, right, it's another kind of touching another, each other. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you can do it where they hang ropes down so you can do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't need a team, but uh, now that you mention it, yeah, those are both missing. Yeah. I, like I said, I thought the, the order of things um, was, was good. You weren't like, you know, sometimes you're covered in mud and then you have to go do funky monkey type of thing. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't feel, you know what I mean? Sometimes that's just like, okay. Um, yeah. So I thought that was the order of the, the obstacles and stuff was good. The terrain there was excellent too. You know, there wasn't any cramped spaces where it was like bottlenecked or anything. Um, and even I couldn't believe out. how – so, you know, the, the Battlegrounds course was usually only like five miles, maybe maybe up to six at most. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I couldn't believe they crammed a full – like my watch said over 10 miles when I finished. And yeah, Tough too. Mudder historically, they'll say 10 miles and then it'll come out to like 8.5 or something. <laughs> you know, but I, I was like maybe under new management they're actually being serious about it because they, they, they squeezed in a full 10 miles plus over that, that terrain, which I – I was shocked with, and you know, we've I've run battleground several times before, and I had for large portions of the race, I had no idea where I was. Like I was just like, I don't know what part of the the uh, venue I'm at, but I know I'm yeah. still on course uh, because it's well marked. So, yeah, I thought the co- the course was marked well too, you know, because they had like the 5K and stuff there as well. But I knew where to go, you know, wherever I was at, whichever turn. Um, like I said, they utilize the terrain really well. You got to go in like the creek a, creek a little bit and um some different things that way um i was happy about I, that too because that that was marked real well i remember doing battlegrounds one year and like going into the creek and being like uh where, where am where, i where am yeah. i going now <laughs> yeah. so yeah um like and arctic enema had lots and lots and lots of ice mm-hmm. i've been in it before where it was cold but like this had like i don't know there, you could not see any water. It was all ice. So it was, it was a good Arctic enema. It was classic. <laughs> and, and then the, the temperature was, I mean, it was like 52 and cloudy. So it, it was, yes. It was, it was not, not a warm day. No. It was not warm. Mm-mm. There was a lot of uh, purple and blue lipped people uh, by the end of that race. <laughs> one of my, one of my friends, uh, Kim, uh, who's probably running in about top, you know, somewhere between fifth and 10th. Uh, ended up getting pulled off the course due to hypothermia, like oh, after really? Arctic Enema. You know, it was, uh, it's cold. It's cold out there. Yeah, yes, yes, it was. I was, I was not super happy about that, but I had, I sucked it up. Um, I was glad they had rope a dope on there. Um, yep. I like that obstacle. That's the you jump, you jump through the rope and then climb up and then slide down the pole or rope, depending on how they set it up. And yeah, Kelly and apparently- was actually on the Tough Mudder <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> If anyone wants to Apparently, go back. Yeah, it was very funny for people to watch me do that. So she shimmied <laughs> down went, the pole like a koala bear. A yeah, I, it, I didn't slide. I, I was expecting my body and it did not. So anyways, that was, yeah, I gave some people a good, few good laughs on that. 
Um, and at the end, there was a gauntlet of obstacles all, you know, kind of in a row. And I thought that was good as well. Um, uh, Black Ness only had, I think, I don't know, it seemed smaller. I don't know if there was only two or three blocks on that. There's only two. They, they usually, two, they've only yeah. been doing two recently, you know, way yeah. back, way back when they first introduced it. And in, let's see, was it Las Vegas 2016, maybe, or maybe 17? There was like yeah. four blocks. Four, yeah. I guess I'm thinking of World's Toughest Mudder, too. I know there's it always seems like it's a a lot of them in there. <laughs> yeah. um, but they and had, then they had a yeah, big mutter horn obstacle, you know, towards the end as well that, you know, you could see from the festival area and stuff. Yeah, sponsored by Rain, the Rain's mutter horn. Yeah. It's a good, they, uh, they're giving out free Rain's there. So if you want 300 milligrams of caffeine before you start running. Yeah. Really yeah, get jacked up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for the, the event when it's like, you know, 95 degrees and uh, yeah. people show up drunk and are they're like, you know what I should need now? 300 milligrams of caffeine to my brain <laughs> right before I start running. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, uh, they um, also, I was, I mean, and Kyle was there. That was pretty cool. He was there. He was very visible. I talked to him a few times and um, they had the awards like lickety split. Because yes. I was like, I didn't even change. I didn't have a chance to change because I was, you know, talking to my daughter and stuff. And I was like, he's like, no, the awards will be in like two minutes. I'm like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> so if anyone's not tracking Kyle uh, McLaughlin, McLaughlin, McLaughlin mm-hmm. is the CEO of Tough Mudder. So he's, he's visible. He's out there. And he's, yeah. since he's taken over, he's been doing great. Just going out and interacting with people. Super friendly. Um, uh, said hi to me when I crossed the finish line. He was there to like welcome everyone and uh, knew me by name, which was um, not that I was expecting that, but it was, that was nice. I, I appreciated that. And, uh, yeah, super nice. Yeah, and like I you even, said, that, that award ceremony was the fastest award ceremony I've ever seen. I was yeah, like, Oh, we're do- are you serious? Like we're doing it right now. All right. So we yeah, I was, out. I was super happy. And I went out, uh, back out on course with my daughter and, uh, I saw Kyle back out there then. I mean, this is hours later. He was still out there. So um, he's definitely visible. So yeah, the award ceremony was, was good. Um, they had festival stuff going on like the whole time I was there too. Um, later on, I won a push up contest. So I got a case of rain. I won a Boom. case of rain. Yeah. I got, I got all the caffeine I could want. <laughs> yes. I'm jealous. So that was, that was fun. <laughs> I also liked so the 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 entrance and exit. They put the merch tent like at the entrance and exit, kind of like mm-hmm. Dis- I know you'll appreciate this as a former Disney character. They put yep. them like you walk in and out of the merch tent to enter the festival and leave the festival, which I uh, appreciated as, as as a business move because I think it's a smart business move, and then also appreciate it because um, I like merch. I like it look even if I'm not buying anything. I like at least looking and seeing what's available. And they did have yeah. some. They did have a really nice that I almost bought, um, but I already have too many uh world's toughest motor patches but they had like one of the uh the plasticky like i want to say i want to say pvc type like like where it's like a raised 3d elevated surface world's toughest motor patch for five bucks that i almost bought um mm, i didn't see that one it's nice um maybe i'll buy it next time but it, it's a nice patch <laughs> and the uh yeah i thought the, i thought the course is great uh the new new obstacle was castaway which you oh, like yeah. sit on, <laughs> oh. it looks like a floating, a uh, punching bag, kind of like a floating punching bag that you can put one or two people on, or maybe you can mm-hmm. squeeze more if you really want to. And then you kind of pull yourself across. So you're kind of going around like the, um, it reminds me of 
Black Widow, but you're sitting on this floating thing and pulling yourself across. How was your experience on that? <laughs> I fell off it. Like, Did you times. really? Because <laughs> I was trying to rush it. I was trying, you know, I'm trying to go super fast. And then eventually I just uh, locked my legs around it and then used, I totally just used my arms. I didn't That's what float. I did. That's I didn't what I did. float on it at all. I just did a traverse with just my arms. <laughs> yeah. I, my, my legs were wrapped around it and I was like completely sideways. Like the, the, the floaty thing is all the way off to my right. And I'm just yeah. like p- pulling with my arms to yeah. get across. Um, I was glad I had some upper body strength. Cause I was like, okay. It was my 13 uh, year old's favorite thing now. Well, not favorite, but she liked it. <laughs> yes. I think that'll be, I think when, um, if, for the open weight, I think that'll be a ton of fun, you know, putting, trying to cram a couple, a couple people on there and trying to keep it upright. I think that'll be, a, that'll be a good, good experience for people. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then the gauntlet, the, um, so the gauntlet was over land instead of water, which is a change for, for most people. Yeah. They had a little everyone. difference on, on that too. The handholds were, you had a choice. Yeah. So they had uh the norm, normal start, the balance beam into the, like the Superman traverse. And then, <clears throat> Uh, normal rings. Actually, it felt like there was maybe one or two more rings than normal to me. I could be wrong. And then they, the just the tip part of the obstacle where it's like the sideways traverse with the wooden beam. And then normally it's like two two pegs or uh, or uh, the metal um, trailer hitch. Trailer hitch. Things. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Um, <laughs> there was that that lane, but then there was also like rock climbing holds as an alternative. Yeah. And I did. I would have gone with the. I like the trailer hitch just because I've I've, I'm I've got my technique down for it. Um, mm-hmm. But I just picked the lane. Didn't realize they were different. And I got the <laughs> rock climbing holds. And I like that less. Mm. Although I think I think if my hands were muddy, I think it would have been better because I think you would have had a better uh, grip yeah. on it. But the the spacing on the the pegs I like better because I can just basically go peg peg <laughs> back to board versus the uh, rock climbing holds. I had to use several of them because they were just kind of like awkwardly spaced for me what were your thoughts yeah you had to you had to use more yeah more times of folding onto stuff yeah i used the i, I did it twice that day I, well, I went back once with my daughter but yeah i used the rock climbing holds and they were different positions too depending on what lane you're in gotcha. so a little variety yeah but overall really good event i got a review coming out of mud run guide for them um the uh, my my only two I'm I'm gonna give them I'm gonna say negatives but only because I'm I'm trying to improve. Uh, one, you came in second place and so did I. Tell mm-hmm. me tell me about your second mm-hmm. place finishers medal. <laughs> oh, other uh, what what medal? Yeah. So they uh, they just gave us another finisher medal. Like it wasn't even like it was didn't say you won second place. Nothing. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't anything unique compared to the finisher medal. So and that was kind of like, wah, wah. so if you're in the top three, come in third or first, <laughs> because yeah. the third and first had different color medals. They had a bronze and a gold medal, um, but the uh, silver medal, because the finisher medals are silver, they just u- reuse the <laughs> finisher medal. So I have two medals that are exactly the same, um, but yeah. yeah. But the cool <laughs> thing is, and you, you can tell, I don't know if you've been like paying attention to their social media, but you can tell there's a magnet on the back. So when you get the Holy Grail, your medals are actually going to stick to the Holy Grail, right? It's going to be like the top of the crown. Yeah, that looked pretty cool. That I think the last two years that I've done, I've, I've done the um, Holy Grail, but this year I will not be doing the Holy Grail, and it's the coolest one. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, the first year it was just a giant beer mug. 
um, yeah. which people were really like unreasonably upset with. And then the second and third year, it was a essentially a chalice plastic, of- yeah, plastic <laughs> yeah. chalice. Uh, my the first one I had the walking back into my hotel after World's Toughest Mudder, like um, coming back. I, we I went from two two different hotels. I was on a work trip. Long story. I'm walking back into the hotel, like after traveling with this thing for, you know, the last, you know, eight hours. Um, and I dropped the box walking into the hotel and I break it. <laughs> I was like, oh, good thing I carried this delicately for the last, uh, you know, eight hours. Mm-hmm. So, Just snapped. But, but I glued it back together and uh, it basically sits on my shelf. So I don't, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, but yeah, I think the, the if you haven't seen the toughest the Holy Grail for this year, I would, I would check it out. It's, it's pretty cool. It's worth, uh, if you're a swag type person, I think it's worth showing up to all three events. And uh, even if you're not a swag type person, I, I really like Toughest Mudder and Tough Mudder. So yeah, they did a good job. Um, and then the, this podium prizes, they had some Everyman Jack. So the, um, the soap and deodorant company, and they give you some, like a little swag bag and then a gift card too. So I just ordered some yeah. de- deodorant and some, uh, sunscreen that I'm going to use for races. So I just, I gave away my swag bag because it was for guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, Oh, okay. Here you go. <laughs> Mine's got a lot of beard supplies in there, which doesn't really helpful um, because the army wasn't let me grow a beard, but I am moving this summer. So I might, I might let my facial hair grow out so I can use some of their soft products on my face. Yeah. But overall loved it. I think, the only, again, if, if I can make like one wish, you know, I wish Tough Mudder and or the Battlegrounds property owners would have kept some of the Battlegrounds obstacles in there. So we would have had some like venue unique obstacles, right? Because the, yeah, the, my favorite obstacle at Battlegrounds was the gauntlet, right? It was like six lanes. It was like choose your own adventure rig type thing. And some, oh, of, them yeah. were, some of them were crazy looking, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> yep. looks like bodies hanging down that like on a balance beam um, that you had to cross. One of them was like a vertical uh, uh, chain link fence traverse. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look through my book, Strength and Speed's Guide to Elite Obstacle Course Racing, you see like a lot of obstacles that are just kind of like really weird and really kind of crazy looking in there. Yeah, a lot of it's from the gauntlet because there was just so many different things in there that I uh, pulled techniques from that I used to help explain obstacles in my book. Um, and I had pictures because it's like right at the finish line. So, yeah, that was that was definitely their coolest obstacle they had there. And then the big slide. The big slide was just kind of like, you know, yeah. no longer in use, which is a shame. So I would have really liked to see like, you know, Tough Mudder at the Battlegrounds and then they incorporate mm-hmm. some venue unique obstacles. Um, but you know they're they're a big brand, so they uh, kind of like kind of like McDonald's, right? Like the, they want to give the same experience uh, regardless yeah. of where you are in the nation. Um, so you you know exactly what you're getting when you sign up versus a smaller OCR. It's a little more uh, fast and loose. Gotcha. Agreed. Cool. Uh, then before we get going, you also came in second at High Rocks in the Pro <laughs> Division, which is yeah. different from the Elite Division, which I just <laughs> learned. So one, yes. tell us a little bit about High Rocks, and then two, explain that for people because I was very confused as people were posting podium pictures <laughs> that weekend, and it was yeah. like this. Per- I came in second, and I was like, then someone else posts the same picture, like a different picture, <laughs> a different podium, and they're like, I came in second, and I was like, well, neither one of these are age groups. Like, I don't understand what's going on. So explain the different divisions at High Rocks, and then yeah. um, also kind of like what it is for those who may not be tracking. Yeah. Well. 
this year they added another division and I'm pretty sure it was something to hype everything up again for actually getting back to racing um, these events. So High Rocks is a, I guess, considered a functional fitness event and it's comprised of, you do eight rounds of a one, one K run and then a fitness, um, then a fitness event. It ranges from, you know, sled pushing and pulling to sandbag lunges and wall balls and rowing and skiing, all those things. So, and it's a timed event, obviously, whoever crosses the finish line first wins, but they had an elite invitational division. So the people that were the um, reigning champs from their um, last year, um, which was Lauren Weeks and Hunter McIntyre, they got to invite people. They get to invite people that they could race against. <laughs> so it was pretty cool that way. So that was a special group. And they went off on their own, the invitational group. They had their own starting time. And then they had bigger cash prizes. Typically, there is only the pro division and then the, like, the age group division. But they had the elite, they had the pro, and then they had the age groups. Um, I raced in the pro. Um, because I had, I've done it a few times last year as well. And I placed second in that. And I was, I was kind of (laughs) shocked to tell you the truth. Um, but you can, they have so many like stats and things like that. Um, I guess what I was most proud of is I would have finished eighth if I was in the invitational. Uh. So, because I did the same race as they did, um, just at a different, you know, you went off in waves. Um, and so I would have finished eighth, um, I believe, overall like in the invitational so that to me was even better than finishing second in the pro so it was was pretty cool that way um they had a lot of different waves and I was like in the last women's pro wave and so I didn't have anybody to like run against you know it it was hard it wasn't like head to head like I wanted it to be um but still it's always it's like a rock star event that's like um yeah it's like a club music and lights and it's a real, it's an experience. You should definitely, uh, you should definitely do one, Evan. <laughs> yeah. And you were also, I, I also saw you on the Spartan page. They had your picture as yeah. the, uh, pushing the sled. So yeah. So twi- I've done the twice on social media in the same week by uh, Spartan Tough Mother there for you. I know they must, they don't know who I am, but it <laughs> <laughs> was like me. So I did the, so I did the Decafit and that is Spartan's answer to high rocks. Right. So that's right. their indoor functional fitness event, which is 10 different stations with, you know, running in between. So you're running 10 times, but that one only equals a 5k, whereas high rocks is an 8k. So this one equals, it's a little bit faster. Um, the stations are a little bit, uh, they're shorter. Like if you're going to do the skier, it's 500 meters instead of a thousand, like at high rocks. And then some of the weights, they're just less. So it's definitely a faster event. Um, but it's, you know, again, it's an indoor event, arena style, and they did a great job at it. You could, there's live announcing, like, um, commentator, you could hear him the whole time. And that was head to head. Like, the, the deck of it was head to head, because it was pretty, it's pretty new, I guess. And there was a small elite wave um, when I did that one in Atlanta. Um, so that was head to head. And that was fun. You could push yourself, you knew where you were at against your competitors, where at High Rocks was so big, I had, had so many people. I had no clue where I was at. 
but yeah, so I, I'd done both of those. Um, I finished fourth at the DecaFit in Atlanta. So yeah. Good, Good stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get going. Uh, before we go, though, uh, anything people would be surprised to know about you besides that you were a Disney character, which is still my, I think was my Your favorite. I know. One. Yeah. You know, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I have been racking my brain. And I really, I, I've said all of them every time I've been on this show. Um, I don't really, no, I don't really have anything new. But yes, I was a Disney character before. I was Mickey. <laughs> Mickey's a girl sometimes. <laughs> so I've been, I've been it underneath the whole thing, and I know all the, you know, all the secrets down there at uh, Disney. Is Mickey always a girl, or is it does it change? A lot of times. Um, sometimes there's guys that are mini. They're really short. You got to be like under five feet tall. Uh, so is there like a height standard for each yep. character? That's how each character, yep, is decided. Oh. So I was always the short ones. I could be like Mickey, Minnie, Timon, um, Piglet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Donald This is Duck. amazing. I like this even better. <laughs> <laughs> the, worst, the worst day I had was I was Timon, and it was like 100 degrees out there in Disney. That's a full fur costume. That's a tough day. How long do they leave? You, how long do they leave you in the costume before you get? Not to long. Take- they they switch you out very often, you know, because they know you're they know <laughs> you're, you're dying just, inside there. Just a sweat box in there. Yeah. So it was my, you know, it was my practicing for extreme conditions and OCR being in a costume. <laughs> they, I mean, they obviously they clean it between people. I'm assuming. I don't know. This was pre-COVID, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So maybe, so does it, I mean, is, is it a little rough smelling in there or is it like, no, yeah. no, no, there's okay. huge costume facilities and yes, they, they clean them and <laughs> you put them in a dirty spot and yeah, they get cleaned. Yeah. Gotcha. It's a huge, it's, it's massive. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, Disney, how massive it is. Disney doesn't do anything small, right? I mean, they're, they're <laughs> all in. So yeah. that's pretty good. All right, from, from mine, this one, we'll, we'll go back to something that uh, kind of started in childhood, and I was just bored, so I was adding things up. So I used to I used to love playing video games, specifically arcade games, and at one point, probably when I was in, like, high school, I started keeping track of, like, all the arcade games I've finished, like, in the arcade, mm-hmm. um, and I found the old list a couple days ago, and I, I was like, oh, I haven't updated this in a while, so started updating it, and luckily... If anyone's familiar with arcade games, they basically like the production of arcade games has essentially come to a standstill. Like they stopped producing them because you can make better, uh, more profitable games at home. So there's almost no new arcade games coming out. Like like all the arcade games that are out now have been the same ones that have been out for the last like um, five, maybe even ten years. There's a company called Raw Thrills that essentially is like the only one still making games. Uh, but so I started updating my list. And I think I'm at around, uh, I finished about 93 arcade games, which I imagine is pretty high compared to most people who uh, probably don't play arcade games very often. And uh, not a whole lot of skill there. It's mostly just standing in front of the machine, (laughs) pumping quarters into it. Um, But, uh, you know, you get better at it just like anything else. Like, I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to go watch people at the arcade. So essentially kind of like, training with mirror neurons right like where you're watching someone else do something and then you get better at it because you're watching it right like i would watch other older kids play video games and kind of figure out what works and then i didn't realize that that's what i was doing at the time i was just watching them but then use that to get better and uh you know a lot of them have the same basic format right like 
like I mostly play light gun games, right? So like if I if I know how to aim a gun and shoot, you know, and the there's certain I mean you shoot the things that pop up and you don't shoot the innocent targets and et cetera. So yeah. A lot of arcade right. games. Time I, Crisis well, is probably my favorite because you that one you actually have a pedal and you step on the pedal to uh, go go in and out of cover, so you can actually control uh, how much you get shot versus some of the other ones are, um, especially the ones that are like stationary guns where the guns like locked to the platform. You essentially can't control what you're doing. Like they just the enemy's just jumping out and shooting you, and you're like you're just literally stealing my money. This is not um, not not ideal. But I like Time Crisis is probably my favorite. Yeah. All right. Arcade games. Oof, yeah. Can't say I've played many of those ever. Missing out. <laughs> not a, I'm missing out. Not a video. Not a video game person. However, watching other people do things that correlates with OCR very well because that's when I can't finish a rig or something. I just watch how other people do it a lot of times and then try to mimic what they're doing as well. Yeah. Good advice. Speaking yeah. of uh, OCR World Championships website on their blog. Uh, just a new article just went up in the last week called uh, Five Tips to Prevent You from Getting Stuck at an Obstacle or something like that. So that's one of my newest articles up there. I got stuff publishing almost weekly. I don't know how quickly they're pushing them out, but I've got a lot in the queue that is coming out before World Championships. So make sure you check that out, Mudrun Guide. <coughs> just published um, another one of my articles about Thomas Van Tonder doing his uh, world record rope climb. So check that out. Uh, big news from Mudgear, Bobby Ross's video debuted. So if you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. Uh, it's called Mudgear Made Tougher. It's a three-minute video. It talks about, or doesn't really talk about it. It shows and it puts the music, athletes waking up early, training, training hard, training long, uh, getting ready to race, and kind of shows Mud, Mudgear's commitment to OCR and the brand and the, uh, the type of athletes they support, um, both formally and informally. And then on top of that, me and Bobby Ross, if you actually go to the Mudgear Facebook page, um, from the uh, 12th of May, me and Bobby Ross did like a five to 10 minute pre-show and like a 15 minute post-show talking about uh, the video, kind of the making of behind the scenes and some other exciting projects we have uh, coming up. Uh, Kelly, what do, you, what do you got coming up uh, before I let you go? Um, I am... I have a few local OCR races coming up, but then I am um, going to do the U.S. championship race for High Rocks. I qualified for that, and that's in Chicago at the end of June. So that is my A game right now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Same weekend as Indian Mud Run? It's like a 26? It is. Yeah. I had to – unfortunately, they moved, uh, they moved all those races, and then – but, yes, I've been – I've been selectively training for like high rocks and those sorts of things over the last year, um, more so than OCR at this point. Um, so I have, I have to go. <laughs> that makes sense. No, I think that's a good call yeah. for you. And, uh, Morgan Schultz was on the podcast. Uh, I, I thought that was a good call for her too. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're doing well at that high of a level in high rocks, like by all means, like I would, I would shift the focus. I mean, that's why I shifted the focus to OCR because I was mm -hmm. doing those, uh, these other sports, and then I found OCR. I was like, "This is I'm doing much better in this than I've done in anything else." <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> why am I do yeah. Why am I doing marathon running? This is a, it's not a useful uh, amount, useful use of my time. Yeah. Other than that, head over to TeamStrengthSpeed.com. I just found ten Blegmit lights that I didn't know I had. So uh, Blegmit lights mediums are back in stock. Uh, if anyone wants to order them, 
Also just put in a new order from Australia. So we're going to have small, medium, and large coming in. So by the time you listen to this, the pre-order will be open for the small and the largest. If you order the mediums, they can show, they'll show up essentially in a couple of days. Um, the Mudgear video, go watch the Mudgear video if you haven't seen it. Have you watched it, Kelly? I did. That was really cool. Yeah. Scott told me about it. I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. And you'll recognize a lot of names and faces and names in there. Scott Rosecki's in there. Jacob Stone's in there. Brenna Calvert. Um, uh, It's filmed a lot largely at Casey Timber Challenge and CrossFit on Concord, a local gym here at Leavenworth, Kansas. And uh, Jenny Overstreet's in it. And then you got to look really close, but Miranda Huber's in there and uh, Amy Padgett's in there. A lot of them are like kind of like their leg shots. They're kind of like <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to tell it's them, but it's it's them. Jay Flores is in there. Um, so a large amount of the Concord on the pro team, some strength and speed people, and then um, some other kind of local people from kind of CTG, right? Laura Royster's in there. So pretty cool stuff. And then by the time you listen to this, you need to head over to Bobby Ross's YouTube page. I'm going to drop the link down below in the comments because. I filmed a fight scene uh, with an MMA fighter and uh, it came out awesome. So <laughs> I can't wait to see that. <laughs> it's so good. And the, it, it, it solves the age old question, which is a better energy drink uh, bang or rain? <laughs> um, because uh, we needed a reason to fight and uh, we didn't have any other ideas at the time. So that's what we're fighting over. So make sure you check it out. The dialogue is hysterical because it's like purposely cheesy. Um, because all we, all we really cared about was like filming the actual fight. Like like, we want to film the fight and, um, it was harder and easier at the same time than I was expecting. There was parts that were a lot harder, parts that were a lot easier. I think Bobby's video will have, uh, we did like a little interview afterwards. We'll have some of that. So, uh, definitely check that out. Make sure you subscribe to his YouTube so we continue to produce uh, fun content like that. And then other than that, as usual, all my books are available on my website and on uh, Amazon. So you can just search for my name, Evan for Paris, and all, they'll all come up. And then you can buy them hard copy or digital. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Kelly, thanks for coming on. Any final shout-outs you want to give? Uh, no, just uh, thanks for having me on again. I Always a pleasure talking to you. I was glad I got to see you at Tough Mudder. <laughs> yeah, so I'll see you. I don't know. Maybe like front line. Are you on a front line? Yes, I will be at front line. I'm going to be at front line. I'm, I'm probably going to that. Yeah. Oh, my, uh, all right. One of my cousins is graduating high school. So we're going to front line and then go visit her and then uh, come back home. So all right. I will see you in a few weeks then. Very good. All right. All right. <laughs> we'll catch, all right. You, catch you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.